Welcome to the Vinyl Ghost Podcast, where we explore the intersections of horror film and feminism. This is Anna, co-founder of the Vinyl Ghost and your podcast host. We've just wrapped up our second series of the podcast, which was all about female monsters. And before we launch into our third series, we'll be covering new films and series that we really want to talk about. And it's been an embarrassment of riches recently. Today's bonus episode is all about His House, the feature film debut by writer-director Remy Weeks, which has just been released on Netflix. His House tells the story of refugee couple Bol and Rial, who make a harrowing escape from war-torn South Sudan and then struggle to adjust to their new life in an English town that has an evil lurking just beneath the surface. I'm joined in this episode by podcast regular and writer Leila Latif to talk about the multitude of layers of His House. The first part of our episode will be our overall thoughts on the film, in case you haven't seen it yet. And then I will leave a timestamp in the show notes to mark the beginning of our spoilerific discussion of the film for those of you who have seen it already. And you can watch His House everywhere on Netflix. Layla, welcome back again to the Yay! podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we've... um. You know, to be transparent, we've literally just recorded our episode about the craft legacy where yeah. we savaged it, and now where we've... I rage drank a big glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're going to be talking about a film of a very, very different ilk. Mm. So, before we dive into our conversation about his house, the first part of our conversation will be spoiler free. So we'll kind of just be covering the over our overall thoughts about the film and then I'll make a very very clear separation between uh, before the spoilerific section starts so anybody who's not seen his house which is out now on Netflix globally um you can you can watch the film and then dive back into the episode and if you don't really care about spoilers then you can continue listening so let's dig into his house and and kind of to kick off I wanted to ask you were you familiar with the work of Remy Weeks before his debut um, so I interviewed Remy Weeks for Sight and Sound last month, and I am nothing if not an incredibly well-prepared interviewer. So <laughs> I, so I um, kind of have had a dive on his like full back catalogue. This is his first feature, but uh, previous to that, um, he was part of this um, duo called um, Tell No One which did kind of like the sort of like art ha arty fashion films and like things for brands, but then also did like unbelievably cool adverts and stuff like that. Um, and like from talking to Remy, I mean like that is kind of where he develops a lot of his skills. Cause when you watch this uh, film, like a lot of his just like literal technical ability is very obvious. Mm -hmm. So after that Remy Weeks, I mean, I'm, think it was uh one of the it was an amicable passing but he then kind of goes off by himself um as he told me he kind of didn't really have the confidence before so he had to kind of very slowly work his way into standing on his own two feet and he made a short which you can find on Morpho called uh, Tickle Monster mm -hmm. which I so strongly recommend it's one of my favorite horror shorts I've ever seen it's just like a few minutes mm -hmm. and just literally about a tickle monster mm -hmm. about like kind of oh there's something in the room that is like dark and demonic but it, the only thing that it does is tickle you and it's so brilliant and 
Yeah, sorry. Have you seen Tickle Monster? I have. I was just about to say that it's part of this great, um, actually, it's part of this great initiative that Film 4 did a few years ago, mm-hmm. where they commissioned a whole bunch of kind of up and coming young directors to do a horror short. And I saw Tickle Monster as part of that. But all of those are, I think there's about four, maybe five of them. All of them are available to watch online. And they're all like five minutes and excellent. Yeah. Really excellent. Oh my, I'm going to dive into that straight afterwards. I only watched the Tickle Monster one. Yeah. I also really recommend the one that Prano Bailey Bond directed called Shortcut, which okay. is uh, hella fun. Oh, you're just such a wonderful fount of knowledge when it comes to these things. <laughs> I've watched a lot of shorts. It's where all the really, really cool talent is, really. That's very true. Um, so then after that, um, he writes the script, his house, it was who wrote and directed it. And then he, the wine scene company wanted it for a while. And he ended up, he, this was a couple of years ago. This was a hot script that was going around before we found out about Harvey Weinstein. He didn't want to produce it with them. So they tried to sue him. What? Yeah. And um, then but luckily Harvey got some bigger problems going on. So that kind of fell by the wayside. Um, And then it came, his house was first at Sundance this February. Mm -hmm. Is Sundance February, is that right? It's January. Okay, January and got a great reception and Netflix picked it up, which I believe at the time people felt was like, oh, that's a shame because this is such a, you know, great film to watch in the cinema. But Remy Weeks comes out on top because the pandemic means that like actually in terms of audience and getting this film seen, Netflix is the perfect place for it. And it's like clearly their big Halloween film because it's Mm -hmm. what's coming out Friday the 30th of October. Yeah. And it's it also, I think, really works because you know, it's it's in the title, but the basic premise of the film is a haunted house. And there is something about what haunted house film in your house that adds to the horror experience. That's very true. It's, I'm always reminded, especially whenever I see a um, horror film that is centered around black people, hmm. that there was a joke from Eddie Murphy's famous comedy special, Brawl, <laughs> yes. about how you can't make horror films about black people because they'd immediately leave a haunted house. Mm-hmm. Which is actually where the idea for Get Out came from, is Jordan Peele loving that. Yeah. But so as soon as I saw this, I was just like, oh my God, they thought of a reason to keep a black couple in a house. This is brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) So I I love, I love that. Um, I love that you reference it. I love that special by Eddie Murphy. (laughs) Me too. Me too. I love Eddie Murphy. He's making another comedy special. I'm so excited. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh yeah. With Netflix, they're literally paying him like a hundred million dollars to do it. I mean, I'm I'm here for it because the the punchy raw Eddie Murphy from the eighties it was the leather suit. Whew. Yeah, but that joke was exceptional. And yes, it's uh, Jordan Peele basically kind of took the title of Get Out from that joke. But so going back to his house. We've sort of skirted around it, but on the surface, it uses the the refugee crisis and these two South Sudanese refugees being trapped in this house as the jumping off point. So what do you think of this use of a political crisis and put in the context of a horror film? Yeah, I was a little wary of it because I come in, I'm from Sudan. Um, I grew up in Sudan. I used to spend my mother's English, my father's Sudanese. I used to spend my, I was born uh-huh. here but, and I spent my summers in England but until I was 16, I lived in Sudan. Um, oh. So there was a little part of me when uh-huh. I saw this announced where, so, so sorry, just 
political background, South Sudan and Sudan were one country until about 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And then we split. And since then, in South Sudan, um, there has been... Uh, so they were previously at war, a civil war between North and South. And then when they split, that war ended. But um, the factions within South Sudan um, turned on one another. And there has been like horrific genocidal... Uh, war going on in there ever since it is like truly tragic that like the world's literally the world's newest country is like basically a failed state already so I come into it feeling very like personally connected to this refugee crisis to this place because Mm -hmm. as much as it is South Sudan I still think of it as where I'm from um and so I had a tiny bit of just like well Remy Weeks isn't Sudanese and Wumi and Sope are Nigerian, mm-hmm. um, playing South Sydney. So a little, a raised eyebrow, I would mm-hmm. say. But I actually think it treats this crisis with such sensitivity and empathy and like three-dimensional humanity that like all of that like didn't matter within 10 seconds. And how do you think it uses this very familiar setting of a haunted house? I think haunted house films are quite difficult to pull off, aren't they? Because mm-hmm. there's a very tried and tested formula of like, you have a very like creeping, like sense of uh, terror, which sorry, I've been very immersed in Shirley Jackson recently, but like, you know, terror as opposed to horror, which is like, you're worried that something bad is about to happen mm-hmm. rather than actually like, something bad happening Mm -hmm. um and then that builds and then we normally have like a middle act where it's just like are they going mad or um you know is this something real and then like the kind of final i mean like obviously like loads of things break that mold but that would be like the general tone and i'd like that this film actually kind of didn't do that um it's really really clear that it's real from the beginning and it's not kind of got it's it's not going into that like gothic horror subtlety at all. It's very like confronting. And like mm-hmm. when I spoke to Remy Weeks, I actually said to him that part of it reminded me of the um, the thing, which is one of my favorite horror films, mm-hmm. where it's the opposite. Sorry, just going back horror history. So um, the film The Cat People, when that came out, there was this thing called a Luton's bus, which is introduced. Yeah. Which is where you kind of build tension, build tension, build tension, and then like a cat jumps out, or a or a or a bus in mm-hmm. this case pulls up, and then it's like, oh, you get a jump scare, but like it wasn't actually anything. Yeah. Whilst John Carpenter in the thing does the opposite, in that like, oh, it's always something terrible. <laughs> like, it's like mm-hmm. and this reminded me of that. Like, it is not a kind of film of like subtle like oh you know is that a shadow or is that like a loud sound but like oh don't worry it's always something and it is genuinely like super scary rather than just atmospheric you're i mean i couldn't agree more it it keeps that tension constant there is no letting go of it except for very very brief moments of respite and but it is still like a fairly bare bones set it's a fairly bare bones horror but it maximizes the set the performances and the effects that it uses both practical and special effects and what do you think is the scariest thing about it um i think 
as much as this is going to sound cheesy, <laughs> I think the scariest thing about it is like this whole survivor's remorse, which is something that they are dealing with the entire time. So what's so amazingly done is that as awful as this is, this is not the worst thing that has happened to them. And they're sort of dealing um, with that. So you're kind of getting these intense scares and then you have this extra layer that is hitting you of just like, oh my God, and this is a reality that's happening all the time. People drowning in the channel, people like fleeing the most like horrific violence. So, I mean, sure, there's like some incredible special effects. There are incredible, like jumping, terrifying moments. But then what stays with you afterwards is like, um, just like an overall message of like mm. resilience and survivor's remorse. I mean, I'm glad to hear that you liked it by the sounds of it almost as much as I do, but because there's just so many layers to this film that work brilliantly. I really like the practical effects. What mm. did you think of them? Oh, I absolutely love this. Um, I did not put two and two together. I'll admit when I watched it um, a while back and I was just glued. It was tense. It, there was images there that I recognized and others that I had never seen before. And this is, you know, obviously because of my own, uh, because of my own background. It managed, I think, to navigate very, very smartly that very difficult tightrope between being a heavily political and not so much message driven, I think, but mm -hmm. a film that operates on several different levels and several different levels of political discourse and political criticism and also just exploring the humanity behind headlines that are yeah. very easily made into either kind of twisted kind of layered and covered and smeared and kind of stories that are smeared in white guilt basically as opposed yeah. to human or kind of expansive kind of political and nuanced stories that contextualize a particular um, issue or a political crisis and this just it hinted at the human cost of it as opposed to trying to make it into some sort of palatable narrative it wasn't really concerned with that it wasn't concerned with making it palatable for me it was much more mm -hmm. concerned with really zeroing in on the experience of the lead characters yeah, And that made it so much more powerful and also made it work so well for me as a horror film because I was completely terrified for them. I was tense for them because there were, the way that I saw it, kind of living in two very different horror films. The horror film that was happening inside their house and the horror film, well, three actually, the horror film that was happening in, in their minds in their memories and the experiences that they had been that they had been through and the everyday horror that they were facing whenever they left the house and had to confront um the their new reality oh uh, yeah i really i couldn't agree more and i think that is what is so interesting about this film that like at most i think you're expecting two layers and mm. then you just get a third mm. um and yeah, I, I, I absolutely loved it. I think it might be my favorite horror this year. Oh, def but. definitely out, up there for me as well. And yeah. before we move on to some of the more kind of spoilery detail of the film, um, I have to ask you, what did you think about the lead performances? 
Okay, so like full disclosure, mm-hmm. I know both Wumi and Sophie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was a little bit biased. Now Wumi went to university. <laughs> yeah, Wumi is like the most wonderful, charismatic, incredible human being. And I am really don't think she gets anywhere near as much credit as she does because she first kind of came onto the scene. She went mm. to university with my sister, which is how I know her. Mm. Um she came onto the scene uh, is uh, in a drama called Damalola, um, our precious boy or something along those lines, for which she was nominated for an Emmy, which is an English actress. You really think it would be what we would get her? Yeah, she she was nominated for the best actress Emmy for this role, and like the buzz around her that the media gave her in this country was like ridiculously just like oh yeah you know fine. I really feel if it was like a young, thin, blonde, white, posh white girl who had been like nominated straight out of act uh, out of Rada gets nominated for an Emmy for Best Actress, like we would have seen her on the cover of magazines everywhere. Yeah, anyway, yeah. But she's been doing steady, amazing work ever since. She was the best thing about the recent series of Luther. She was mm-hmm. amazing in Black Mirror. She's currently on Lovecraft County, mm-hmm. and this is her first like lead role in a film she's amazing in it she's just fucking incredible like she's coming up on the new loki series as well mm-hmm. but you know she really needs to get more attention and more credit than she does and then sope i don't really know i've met him once mm-hmm. so just before lockdown the last thing in february i was at a house party of my sisters and she is a director so and like black kind of filmmaking community is like reasonably small and he was there mm. and I, you know, when there's just somebody who is like that magnetic and handsome and such beautiful arms, but I swear <laughs> to God, there was a small queue that formed in the party of everybody that just was like taking their turn to speak to him. I am a happily married woman, but I just kind of stood well, you, there being just like, queue. soon. I was in the queue. <laughs> I think I started the queue. And like, and then I turned around and like my friend Isabel's in the queue. My friend, my younger sister, Sarah, she's like, oh, you joined the queue. Cool. Yeah. This, this. <laughs> I love that you mentioned the arms. Oh my God. His arms, his beautiful, beautiful arms. But yeah, what did you... He's a lot more handsome in real life. I think they actually kind of like, I think they lit him a little purposefully harshly in this because he is a beautiful beautiful man stop it i can't i'm not in the in the mind frame to deal with that amount of handsomeness right now <laughs> <laughs> so so he wouldn't know who i was but if i i feel i know him i stood in that queue <laughs> well you know maybe you know if he listens to this episode <laughs> he'll know exactly who you are yeah fingers crossed um, yeah, he, they're both phenomenal. I feel like these are two of our most mm. exciting young British actors at the moment. And I just hope that they get the attention that they deserve for this. I mean, in particular, Wumi, mm. who has just been so solidly the best thing in things for so long now. Oh, mm. she's also in um, The End of the Fucking World. She's great mm-hmm. in that. She's phenomenal. So before we move into spoilers... Do you think horror fans will enjoy this film? I think they'll love this film. I think they'll also be very impressed by this film because the best horror is like not quite what you expect. Mm -hmm. And I think 
I've just like, I'm already dreading that there's gonna be a thousand think pieces about this and its place in like elevated horror, mm-hmm. which speaks to like, you know, politics, like as if like Frankenstein and Dracula weren't written a really, really long time ago <laughs> at this point. Mm-hmm. But this is elevated for me in the sense of it doesn't like fit a perfect mold of what you expect a haunted house film to be or to be all like kind of a politically satirical horror to be or a black horror film to be um it's just it's firing on so many cylinders and i just re- like weird even though like i'm a film critic i don't like recommending films that much <laughs> <laughs> This is one of the ones where I'm just like, I am 100% confident, like, this is a wonderful thing that anyone, I think, would get a lot from. It's also quite funny, (laughs) and it's really sad in places, but, like, the fact that, like, in the midst of all that, it's really funny at times. So let's, let's dig in a little bit deeper into his house in the spoiler section. Congratulations. You're being released as asylum seekers, not as citizens, not yet. You will be sent to a home of our choosing. You must not move from this address. We are good people. Whether or not you're good people, it's not me that needs convincing. It's a palace. This entire house is just for us. It's going to be nice. You're going to be happy. As long as you can get along, fit in, be one of the good ones. This is our home. All I can taste is the metal. We'll get used to it. Okay, so we've kind of talked around the film and it's pretty obvious that we both really, really love it. So I didn't want to go into the characters of Royale and Bull before because mm. there's so much nuance to their relationship that it's, I think it's borderline and impossible to talk about it without spoiling it. Um, so what what did you make of their relationship and the tensions and the the resolution of it? Uh, I just I I was so impressed by them and so impressed by these performances because what they're doing is like so technically difficult in that they are getting us to buy into a marriage where we literally see none of the good times we don't see like any of uh you know any like real moments of happiness but we still believe in this as being like a relationship even though it's just but they don't feel like they're trauma bonded. They feel like this is like a functioning thing and they have an easiness and a like shortness of language and and, and a depth to how they interact with one another. Oh, God. <laughs> like I just, yeah, it's such a joy to come across a film that like 
that is this good and it's just like you know in the genre that you love the most and has like such wonderful performances and also from like actors that you know one for friendship reason and for the other one for arms reasons mm -hmm. that like I really <laughs> want the best for and I would also say Remy Weeks having spoken to him is like the nicest man alive which feeds into my theory that horror fans are actually the world's best people because we're naturally extremely empathetic Oh, um, I 100% support this theory. Good. Um, and, you know, it's evidenced by, well, by all you and all the amazing people that come into this podcast. <laughs> but there is something that you mentioned that I want to pick up on. And it's kind of the way that actually you mentioned the the sort of the the shared language or the shared kind of shortness of um, of exchanges that they have with one another. That's very... That's sort of a natural thing that evolves with intimacy and with a long-standing relationship. So one of the things I did find interesting is a constant immigrant as well, who constantly jumps between different languages, mm -hmm. is the way that they spoke and this emphasis on shifting from shifting languages as well and the, ten yeah. the tension that it created. So what did you what did you think about that? I, really, I think I really liked it. I really spoke to, I think a lot of people have is this immigrant experience of just wanting to be one of the good ones, wanting mm. to kind of, I mean, it's not something that I feel now, but like certainly when I was at university, um, I was very lucky. I went to school at a very um, ethnically diverse place and there was a lot of girls from China and Nigeria mm. and like, so I didn't, I didn't feel that pressure then. But when I went to university, it was very, very white English. And mm -hmm. you feel this like constant thing of like, oh, I have an Arabic last name. I need to like let people know, like I'm not like one of them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm fun and like, you know, and also this was, I went to university in like, you know, 15 years ago. Well, how old am I? You know, quite a while ago. Um, <laughs> And, you know, height of the war on terror, it was not a good time to have a, um, my middle name is Osama. So it was like not a great time to have that name. Um, and so it was heartbreaking for me. And there's a scene in particular where, because football is a universal language, mm -hmm. that Bol goes to the pub and he knows the word to a song about Peter Crouch. And he has this moment of joy where he's like, I fit in, mm -hmm. they like think I'm one of them. And it's just heartbreakingly beautiful. Mm -hmm. And it just shows Remy Weeks's intelligence as a filmmaker, where it's not like the craft, we're not having people just explicitly say what they feel or um, like just tell you characteristics about themselves. He can show these things with like such subtlety. And like just in that moment where Ball is sitting along, we have like what would take many films, like scenes after scene after scene of character development happening mm -hmm. there. Oh yeah, no, I, I almost, I feel like I can't say enough good things about this film. And about Remy Weeks. I mean, I think it's really exciting for, you know, the UK to have such a cool, young, interesting director that like this is that this is his debut is insane. It's, it's shocking. It's shocking that this is his, his debut, and kind of sticking on that on that that scene in particular. But also there was another one that really, I think, illustrates this tension between Real and Ball, and it's when she gets lost and then kind of 
bullied might not be the right word, but she gets sort of um mocked by these kids and mm. she approaches them because she assumes that they're safe, that they're gonna help her. They're kind of black kids on the on the some um, uh, this I don't actually know what town they're supposed to be based in. I can't. Remember. It never says. It doesn't specify. Never says. Yeah. And they mock her and they make fun of her and they tell her to, you know, go away. Yeah, I think it was like fuck off back to Africa something. Along yeah, those lines. yeah, something along those lines. And I wanted to kind of ask you what you thought about the way that their experiences with England, kind of this unnamed town, yeah. illustrate this this theme of belonging yeah because i mean the um there's some amazing stuff with that which is done by through real's um character so she's got i mean back home in sedan um like scarification is quite a big thing my great grandmother had like these like long vertical cuts Mm -hmm. um down going through her face much more dramatic than anything um that Rial has mm-hmm. and and it's you know it's a pretty dark process because they have to just they want the scars to be as significant as they can so they reopen them and you pack them full of dirt and if they get infected even better because that will make the scar more prominent but um in Rial's case she has two tribes um scarred uh, marking scarred on her face mm-hmm. um because she's kind of from both places and she wants to be able to fit into both but she she ends up fitting in nowhere Mm -hmm. and now she's still got that like restless um element to her when she's in um the uk trying to but you know not she's not trying to fit in in the same way that ball does where ball is like we're here we're going to be one of them we're going to be the good ones there's a really funny and sweet scene where he goes to tesco and sees a like advert of a white family um and he just buys them the exact outfit so they'll kind of fit in and look exactly like them but the subtleties of the film are so great because even in that scene while that's the major thing that's happening in the background if you notice the security man won't stop following him and it's like I think that's what Remy Weeks does so well, is he's just like building such a complex picture in any single scene. Mm. Oh, loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so you watched it a little while ago. I watched it about a month ago and I've kind of been really excited for it to come down on Netflix. Netflix same. sent me a screener, but only for like 24 hours so I can rewatch. Yeah, uh, no, same. I watched it a while ago, but there's there's quite a significant like there's quite significant imagery that's really stuck in my head and Mm. i wanted to hear your thoughts kind of about the um the horror imagery you know there's it's interesting that in in this year in this time this pandemic and stuff there's quite a lot of uh, stories coming out about kind of hauntings and i'm thinking about hosts i'm thinking about the haunting of bly manor obviously all very very (laughs) <laughs> I, yes <laughs> yes um weirdly i watched the haunting of Bly manor and his house well i watched four episodes of the haunting of Bly manor and his house on the same day right which four that matters first four okay you would have been angrier if it had been the last I, I was angry <laughs> and then we switched to his house and i was like this is such a palate cleanser this yeah. is gorgeous this is what a horror should be i know and I remember when I spoke to Remy and he was saying that he feels very like philosophical about the world and like how mm. things work and like how everything goes. So what he wanted to, to 
was he's not that interested in violence and there is some violence in this but he's more interested in like building nightmare worlds and i think that like so many horror films would be so much better if that was their focus about like let me build this like complex nightmare mm-hmm. and let me build a character and then tailor this nightmare to him because if literally if you just have those two ingredients it's going to be compelling viewing yes and so to go back to my question about the horror imagery actually nightmare is probably the most accurate word for it this kind of nightmare logic and this nightmarish imagery mm. what did you make of the way that it well that it created its its visual horror language i was surprised by it like because i i think there's just something about especially with like horror that is getting like a lot of um attention is that it's not actually going to like go there you know like mm-hmm. as much as i love get out mm-hmm. get out isn't like fundamentally a scary film to me or like the babadook isn't like that scary a film to me it's like that there's more there's interest there's so much interesting stuff going on but it's not like the like full like hiding behind a pillow and like ah what was that sort of thing yeah um and so i was quite surprised when the, that film like really delivered on that side of things but like oh my god that's a horrible thing that's so much worse than what i thought it was going to be <laughs> so what were some of those um what were some of those really really scary moments for you well i thought the witch was a metaphor i didn't realize like a giant terrifying thing was going to emerge <laughs> uh and the way that it like play i mean like that you know there's not too much violence but in this like the way that it like physically like puts its hands into his womb like i mm. felt that i felt that in my bones like i found yeah. that very difficult to watch but like in a good way and you know we're we're going to mention haunted houses and hauntings and um there's there's a big turning point in this film towards the yes. end yes <laughs> what did you make of the turning point layla i love the point <laughs> because okay like i love a twist in any film mm-hmm. but what is the best type of twist is a twist where you don't even see it coming because a lot of films mm-hmm. like you do have that thing about like oh i wonder what the twist is going to be and then it kind of why the works out or it doesn't but in this i didn't even see, know that there was going to be one and it's so devastating when it happens yeah, absolutely same i was i'm not to you know sound pretentious but it's when you watch a lot of films you kind of can see a lot of stuff coming mm-hmm. i was shocked by the twist yeah i when i had my screener my friend um leo came around and my husband was there <laughs> when the twist happened he just felt like i think somebody may have actually like let out a, like a moan it's just like oh god <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh yeah, we were like super bummed out, but like in the best way where it's just like, oh my God, I thought I was already getting so much from this film and then like another like punch in the heart. But yeah. So what do you think this, this twist adds in terms of additional layering to the film? I think it just adds a lot of complexity to what we've seen before. Like it would have worked perfectly fine without the twist and I still would have been like on board with it. But like in that twist, we kind of see like the desperation, the humanity and like the, you know, the, what people have to go through in order to come to this country and then be treated like shit. 
Mm. You know, and it, it kind of reminded me, I, I remember a few years ago when there was like a real thing in the news of the camps in Calais when the Syrian um, migrant crisis was starting. Um, and there was this stuff in the Daily Mail, which I would occasionally read for celebrity gossip. Like, yeah, I wouldn't buy it, but like I'd go on the internet. Um, and all about like, look at the scandal of this. These people have um, iPhones and smartphones. And I was like, yeah, what the fuck do you think is happening outside of this country? It's like, these aren't people that like come out of like the world of Tarzan or something like mm. that. These are like, you know, and you know, for all intents and purposes, Riel and Sol are a middle-class couple in a horrifically grim and desperate situation in South Sudan. You know, they're like bilingual. They and and they've had to do some shit and put up with some shit to get here. Mm. They had to make some terrible choices, which but you know, you wouldn't wish that choice on your worst enemy, the position they were put in. And how do you think kind of the film explores this idea of of kind of a, a supernatural debt that they have to repay? Oh, it's just so sad, isn't it? <laughs> like, and I think this is really like down to like Serpe's, um skill as an actor mm-hmm. that he's almost like a living Rodin sculpture at times where you just feel the weight of the world on his shoulders mm. even when he's trying not to show it. Um, yeah, I mean, what did you, what for you did the, um, did the like portrayal of that tragedy seem like, um, what's the word, justifiable? Like, because I guess it's the one of those things of just like, well, are we exploiting a real time, a real life tragedy for like our amusement? It's the um, question with these things. I love how you turn around this podcast on me. <laughs> Well, I am um, always interested to hear what you think. I I actually, it's interesting that you mentioned kind of, you know, does this exploit a tragedy? I had not thought of this. I did not feel it to be exploitative. Like in no way, shape or form have kind of the same relationship with that particular conflict or even knowledge about it, really. I'm quite ignorant, I must admit, about that. Um, but I... It didn't feel exploitative because of the way that it was written, because of the character building, because it makes sense narratively. And like you describe it, there is such a weight of guilt and of Mm. a bubbling tension that is there. It's there in the air between Paul and Real. And the film so delicately maneuvers us, I think, from thinking that it's about this immigrant experience about the desire to fit in um and but also kind of the conflict of not letting go of who they are of their own culture and and of protecting themselves against quite a hostile english environment mm-hmm. but then once you know the whole story it completely transforms the film it's one of those very rare films that actually I think will get better upon rewatches because you'll be able to pick up the additional layers just in their relationship. Yeah. And just in like the moment where he suggests to her, we could start a family. Like yeah. all of a sudden that is a completely different. Totally. Yeah. And also just visually kind of these, you know, which is the reason why I was bringing up kind of the, the way that it visually articulates a haunting and ghosts mm. is because these are not just, spooky looking creatures that are popping out of the the walls they are kind of direct manifestations of 
very, very horrible experiences that were only really hinted at in the film. Yeah. So when we see more of those experiences and especially kind of this um, this kidnapping of this girl, this and, and her and her death, this terrible weight on their shoulders that they're carrying. Yeah suddenly the imagery gains a completely new level. It's not just spooky people. It's not just ghosts or witches or creatures of the netherworld. It's it's a supernatural force that has actually wrapped itself around a very, very human experience. Yeah, very true. And I think it's it's incredibly confronting. And I think you used this word before. And I think it's confronting because it forces us via very, very good, very smart storytelling, it forces us to think about difficult choices. And it forces us to think about, not in a very kind of, you know, my God, what would I do in that situation? No, it's like we've we every single person will have had difficult situations or things that they're um, ashamed of or that carry with them that they wish they hadn't had gone through or that they wish, you know, they hadn't made a decision that they made. And that can manifest in different ways and kind of this this horror film and horror in general i think is so when articulated right by talented people can visually manifest and visually explore things that are too difficult sometimes to articulate even internally yeah i mean there is definitely an element of you know, sometimes like recently there's been some like really horrific stories in the news about people and children dying in uh, the Channel Crossing. Mm. And, uh, you know, there was it wasn't that long ago that there was that awful thing um, with the people that died in the freezing lorry mm. that like came over. And there is an element that I think we all do for this, you know, and not for entirely selfish reasons, sometimes literally for the sake of our own mental health, mm. about like, I'm literally not even going to read this. I'm not going to like confront it because like, how do you then go about your day with the weight of that on you? Mm. But then these people have no choice. Yeah. It's like the biggest privilege that you can have is being able to choose not to deal with difficult things. Yeah. And bowl and real don't have that choice available to them i'm very interested to hear from you because when i was talking to remy weeks one Mm. of the things that um i asked him was like there's all these like little microaggressions that they get i mean there's some very obvious aggressions where they just get from people like telling them to fuck off home Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but then there's like all these like little microaggressions where they that they get from people about like things they should be grateful for Mm -hmm. or like people are passive aggressive or a lot of the time people speak kind of at them as if they're not in the room Mm -hmm. like was that very obvious to you watching it as a white person because like it was super obvious to me but I wasn't sure if you like haven't experienced that and it happens a lot (laughs) whether I read that in your interview actually people were jumped onto this and I think it's a really really smart question and I think about this a lot when I watch uh films that are not kind of directly reflective of my experience but mm-hmm. as I like I'm for my own personal background I'm a constant immigrant I've yeah. never lived in a country where I was born and I've never lived in a country where I kind of you know yes I'm a I'm a basic white girl but I I grew up in Spain I didn't look Spanish yeah and 
you know, I've moved around a lot. So I've always, always lived through the immigrant experience. And you feel that's like quite universal. I don't think it's universal. I'm very aware of the fact that I've been able to, by the sheer way that I look, and also, frankly, the way that I sound, the fact that I Mm -hmm. don't have an accent, that's very placeable. Mm -hmm. That's a massive privilege that has allowed me to circumvent many things in different countries, in different ways. So it's a constant adjustment, I think is probably the the simplest way of saying that, um, that you have to jump around and make yourself palatable and make yourself fit in while also experiencing constant reminders that you're never actually going to fit in. And at a certain point in your life, you kind of let go of it and you're like, well, fine, sure. You can also kind of, I mean, personally, I feel I could kind of protect myself in my bubble of like reasonably central London. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but I, so going back to your question, I could see a lot of the microaggressions. I probably did mm-hmm. not see many others. I could see the microaggressions that we're referring to very, very obviously being someone who is not from that country and this pressure of being grateful Mm-hmm. But also this tension between Bol and Real of wanting to fit in and wanting to other yourself very directly and very explicitly. And I've yeah. seen that firsthand. You know, it's a very, very common thing, I think, between immigrant communities of we will separate ourselves because why are we going to try to fit in when we're n- they're never going to let us fit in? So we're not even going to try. Yeah. There's a fabulous line where she set, says to him that like, you're just like grateful for unseasoned scraps. Yes. <laughs> and to be honest, the whole seasoning thing, I, uh, <laughs> I love <laughs> because it is, that was also a big cultural shock for me <laughs> when I moved yeah. to the UK. Same. <laughs> so, I mean, it's been a while. Still, still jars me at times. Oh, all, all the time. I mean, you know, as a total aside, the first time I ate food at an English person's house and <laughs> they served a massive giant yeah. salad of iceberg lettuce with just cucumber that was the size of my fist and like no seasoning and no dressing i was no dressing clutched my pearls later oh. <laughs> oh god yeah no i mean the number of times where i just had to like you know be polite and well someone made me something and they proudly told me that they didn't believe in using salt <laughs> what yeah that's tough uh Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but to to go back to your point, um I I have no doubt that this film speaks to different people on different layers and I will have picked up on some of the microaggressions that he quite very very smartly fits into the into the film. Yeah, and with a real naturalism, you know, it's it's so kind of well done it's not heavy-handed you don't feel at all that he's trying to like beat a message into you this feels very like Mm. natural to someone's experience and I actually wanted to ask you about one of the things that kind of really did struck me is the way that he almost satirically portrays kind of quote-unquote well-intentioned white folk I know and I was just oh my god Remy Weeks just wonderful wonderful human being um he like I just you know often when I'm watching a film that I really really like and I'm mm-hmm. thinking about what I love about it 
I can see the worst version of the film. Mm -hmm. And in the worst version of this film, Matt Smith is a monster rather than like actually like a decent guy doing his best who has just had as a society, like there has just been something ingrained in him, which Mm. is nasty and insidious. And which is something that like we as a society in the UK are being like really like restrained and poisoned by, which is at the end of the day, this person by not being born in Britain is less than me. Mm. And like as much as kind of people would be horrified for you to suggest that this is like racist or a problem, Mm -hmm. that is just a base level at which they are operated, which is why they are constantly expecting Riel and Bulb to be grateful Mm -hmm. for the things that they got simply by being born where they were born. Mm -hmm. Yep. Which is crazy. Like, why is that a revolutionary idea? It's, it's, it's not, it's not, but, um, I do wonder kind of about you you kind of talked about kind of elevated politically minded if not necessarily kind of I don't think this is overtly political the way I mean it kind of is but it's not trying to but it's like the political act is kind of just in telling these people's stories and telling them as three-dimensional human beings it's not a sort of um message film although it is very kind of politically uh savvy but I do wonder kind of about the way that this film is received i mean it's gotten rave reviews and all of that and it's obviously going to be it it is available now on netflix so there's going to be a lot of access to it which i think is amazing um but i have to see i have to give you some bad news and that like i always in order to make sure that i can remember everyone's Mm. names right i have the imdb in front of me and uh the user ratings are not good there's like a lot of zero stars, a lot of one stars. I think the average is five stars out of ten. Why would you do Which, this? Well, because sorry, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like you know, as much as we care to blame politicians for all of the like bad things that happen, like this is actually quite a base level of like there's a lot of shitty people that just in like having three dimensional human immigrants, they kind of consider that like oh it's the fucking woke police or it's like all of this stuff which so virtue signaling which you really fuck off like just like making a black person a three-dimensional character in a film is not something that should be like demonized by anyone absolutely and actually i mean considering that we've spoken a lot about uh wokeness in in our previous conversation around the craft legacy and we've sort of we've spoken about the smart writing of characters and embedding them with all of their history uh, as opposed to just signaling any kind of um, political stance or wokeness. So what I'm getting at is kind of asking you, how do you think this film will be talked about considering everything that we've been talking about, considering this sort of pushback that you've just referenced from horror fans against anything that kind of deviates from the I don't know the the schlocky kind of traditional type of storytelling and the um the beats that they're accustomed to that was smart interesting innovative filmmaking in its day but kind of really isn't anymore now now this is interesting innovative filmmaking yeah I mean I don't know it's hard to predict with these things aren't there because like you do you've given hope by the fact that like something like get out was given its due, Mm. but I've never gone broke 
underestimating the British public when it comes to <laughs> a lot of this stuff. So, I mean, I hope so. I hope people will kind of see it for what it is and not mm. try and to like attach some like a prejudice that they already have in it. Um, but like Remy Weeks deserves all of the credit for this. And I think hopefully Netflix do seem to be like really pushing it, that it will also get an audience in America and that everybody who's been part of it is going to really like get their due because it's just really interesting, exciting, intelligent filmmaking. And it's what we need more of. Very well said. And I think that's a, a really, really great note to end on as well. Is there anything that we haven't discussed about this his house that you wanted to mention? Hmm. I think I covered it. Did I mention that I liked it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think your your whole kind of um this whole conversation kind of reads to me as a three star review, maybe. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it depends what else is being released. But I gotta say, it's like I think it's interesting that for me, today is like such an exciting day for mm. film because we've got uh, His House, Relic, Mogul Mowgli, Wolf Walkers, African Apocalypse, like all of these exciting mm -hmm. films are coming out. Oh, Painter and the Thief. Um, but I, the one I am seeing the most buzz about online is people seem to be most excited for His House. Yes. Yes. But um, that is within my kind of film Twitter bubble, so... <laughs> Layla, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and also all of your um, personal insight into this film. It's been really, really amazing to hear. It's given me a whole, a whole kind of, I don't know how many layers we've got already, a 17th layer to his house. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm really excited to see what Remy Weeks does next. Absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're going to see Wumi in the Marvel universe. And I think just Sope, hopefully something set in the summer where he's shirtless. Yes. With some um, rolled up sleeves, please. That would yes. be fabulous. Thank you very much. It, we've had a tough year. Yeah. It's what we need. <laughs> we need this right now. Please do, do it for the do it for the female gaze, please. <laughs> we need it. <laughs> Um, so Layla, where can people find more of your work online? Um, well, if you follow me on Twitter, Layla underscore Latif, I uh, shamelessly post everything that I do there. But I'll be um, on BBC Two at 9.30 on uh, November 7th, introducing the new BBC lineup of films, which is super exciting. Thank you so much again. Thank you again for having me on, especially for a film that, like, I honestly could just talk about all evening. I might go rewatch it. Would that be lame? No, do it. <laughs> I'm definitely rewatching it this weekend. Well, happy Halloween weekend to you. I feel like this is like our horror fans. This is like our Christmas. Uh, yes, it is. Happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Halloween. Bye.